Hey, just a quick fun fact. This morning at around 9.35 a.m., Brady Jackson, this guy sitting here to the left of me, preached his first sermon ever in front of a church. Brady's been working here the last two summers. He's a youth ministry major at Harding uh, in Arkansas. He's been a blessing to our students. And this morning, I'm honored to introduce him and pray over him as he speaks a word to you guys for what will be his second sermon ever. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for Brady, for his willingness, his courage. Father, to stand up here to deliver your word. Father, give him the courage, the strength, the perseverance, and the clarity of mind, Father, to speak your truth boldly, to be encouraging to us as a congregation, Father, and uh, for him to continue on his journey following your path for whatever you have called him to do. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bo. And once again, I want to thank you all again for all the, the love and discipleship I've received and the ways that I've been poured into. I'm so very grateful for my experience here. I'm thankful for the teens I got to work with and all that I've gotten to do and learn. And I'm just so grateful for my opportunities here. What if I told you that I've actually met David Crowder? David Crowder, yeah. Uh, he actually works at, at the Wright Christian Academy in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's a maintenance supervisor. He supervises all the maintenance things. Uh, really cool guy. And what, he, what most people don't know about him is that he's actually a beekeeper. A teacher allows him to, keep a, uh, to beekeep in one of the classrooms. He has a big glass case, and he's able to talk about all the intricacies of all the different types of bees, the queen bees, the worker bees. It was, it was truly amazing. Probably not the David Crowder you were thinking of, who sings a lot on stage and glorifies God through what he does through worship. Um, but in a way, this David Crowder is glorifying God through his day-to-day occupation. And plus, Bo would say this is the true David Crowder. So, uh, Have you ever thought about how much time you will spend both working and resting across the course of your life? And this doesn't necessarily include everything in between. I'm going to give you a few uh, statistics here, so just hang with me. If you sleep an average of eight hours a night, you'll end up sleeping around 26 years, a third of your life. In the American school system, you'll spend approximately 17,280 hours sitting in a classroom, and that doesn't even include college. And once you're out of college, you probably pursued a job that's stemmed from your degree plan, and the average person spends around 90,000 hours working across the span of their entire life. But it doesn't stop there. The average person will have spent around 17,500 hours just commuting to their job, just driving there and back. But we also have to eat right, right? The average person will have spent about 32,000 hours eating a meal, and on and on and on. But what seems to be the two ways that we spend the majority of our time in our lives, we spend most of our time both working and resting. This is hard to grasp, but it's true. And if these are the two things that's, that take up most of the time in our lives, it would only make sense that God has a purpose for and through them. The issue with work is that it's easy to fall into two fallacies. I'm going to give you two fallacies that it's easy to fall into for workers. One, we can turn work into an idol. Number two, we can neglect a holistic type of work altogether. 
In regards to number one, if we're not careful, we can become workaholics. And once we're on that road, that leads us to making work our identity. And that just doesn't help expand the kingdom. And on the other hand, with number two, we can lose all our sense of drivenness, drivenness and passion in regards to our work, may become lazy. Um, and I want to make an exception for those with, with disabilities, because that's just a whole other another different story. But how we manage our work has a direct impact on how we rest. If we turn work into an idol, we'll neglect a holistic type of rest. If we neglect a holistic type of work, then we will not be able to experience a true, fulfilling type of rest. And in most cases, the reason we as humans fall into these two fallacies, which those aren't the only two, this is just what I'm suggesting, is because we fail to grasp, grasp that our innate ability to both work and rest comes from God and God alone. If you think about it, at creation, humans were the only created thing given a specific task to do. If you look at Genesis 2.15, which says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. They were given a specific task to do, right? They were the only created things given specific tasks to do. And another important thing to note here is that these instructions were given before the fall of man even happened. So we can conclude from that that work, in all its form, in all its context, is a very holy thing. Work is a holy thing and is pertinent to the kingdom of God. And in regards to rest, God did not simply establish the seventh day of creation as a day just for simply him to rest. He instituted that day of rest so that we could come to know him through rest. So the reality is, God has given us this innate ability to both work and rest. But do we fully understand the rhythm of these things? If I ask you the question, do you find purpose in your work? Do you find purpose in your occupation? Some of you might say yes, some of you might say no. I think it's safe to say that a lot of people in our society as a whole fail to find a purpose in whatever vocation they find themselves in. You know, you've heard of the American dream. We all define this in a bunch of different ways. Um, Inherently, for the most part, the American dream is not necessarily a bad thing. Equal opportunity for all people groups can be a healthy thing for both society and the kingdom of God. But this doesn't necessarily eliminate the fact that reaching the American dream, for the most part, is done by the same means and has the same goal. You know, get through grade school, go to college, get a degree, and then follow that. Allow that to be your springboard for which to reach the American dream. Some get a job, some take on further schooling, some run for political office, and on and on and on. We all have our own definitions of success, and we'll do whatever it takes to reach it, which is great. But is it ultimately satisfying? Can it truly satisfy us? Some in society today even fall into the hole of getting a specific degree or career plan only for the purpose of making a lot of money. They follow a career plan to pay the bills, uh, put food on the table, save for retirement, and again, all those things aren't inherently bad. Those are important things. But can our job be ultimately satisfying in every facet of our lives? Can our day-to-day occupation, can, can going to school, can that ultimately satisfy every facet of our lives? The answer is no. 
We can't depend on our occupations to satisfy these deep, the deepest longings and desires in our lives. Inevitably, they will fail us if we rely on them in this way. So here is the big question. As Christians, how do we have a fulfilling life in both our relationship with God and within the context of our work? And I'll take it one question further. Should these things be separate entities? Here's a problem that should bother us as followers of Christ. There is too dark a line between what we call secular culture and Christian culture. In my opinion, music is a perfect example of this. You know, if you listen to the radio, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a Christian station and there's also, you know, like the pop or hip-hop station or whatever. And some Christian artists take on the task of attempting to mix pop music and Christian music. Sometimes it, work, it works out. Sometimes it's really good. And I, I enjoy hearing Christian artists that do it very well, like Lauren Daigle and some other examples. But then there's some that just, it doesn't mix well. It just doesn't sound very good. So as Christians, we're called to enter into secular culture and be kingdom bearers. But how can we do this if we separate ourselves from culture? Let's go back to Genesis 2. God called Adam and Eve to tend the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. And again, we can conclude from this that work is a very holy thing, no matter the form, no matter the context. But as a body... I think we struggle with the idea of intermingling work and serving God. We, we label them as, sep- as separate entities. You know, we work our eight-to-five job and then, and then serve God on the weekends. That's just how we kind of picture it. I mean, I, well, shoot, I'm, I'm, I'm working at a church, so like, who am I to say that? But, you know, it's, we view them as separate things. And it's easy to do that. I mean, I, I, I do that. Um, but in reality, they are not separate entities. They are one thing because God has given us the ability to work as well as serve him. So what if I told you that every occupation or context of work is valuable to the kingdom of God? What if I told you that you don't have to go to a, you just don't have to go to a soup kitchen or teach a Bible class, which again are good things to serve God? Here's the thing, if the concept of work is holy to God, then this includes literally every single form of work. And this includes schoolwork, from making a business call, to checking out that shopper at Walmart, to cleaning out restrooms, to waiting tables, to washing dishes, to taking a test, and on and on and on. If done well with a good work ethic, all forms are holy and pleasing in God's eyes. Picture this, if we, every single one of us, were preachers or electricians in this world. Well, man, we may know how to preach a good sermon or like fix a telephone line or something like that. But our world wouldn't survive if we were all preachers or electricians. It's just a reality. Our society, our world, it wouldn't survive. Our society and our world thrives on all the different jobs that we have, all the purposes that we fulfill in this world. Man, that's a beautiful thing. I praise God for that. So every single, one of your, every single one of your jobs is valuable to the kingdom of God, and I hope you know that. And this includes those in the classroom every single day. I have a quote from you from David Platt that I think is really good. 
And it says the difference between wilderness and culture is what? Work. The difference between wilderness and culture is work. As a society, we all drive on nicely paved roads. For the most part, we have access to clean drinking water. We are a society that survives and thrives on different types of work. And I think there's a reason for that. And the kingdom of God thrives on this as well. You know, it makes me sad to know that there are some out there who only have the goal of reaching retirement or graduation. And then only then can their true work come. Can Only then can their life truly begin. But I'm here to tell you that the kingdom is here and now. And God can work through your day-to-day occupation and whatever it looks like if you will allow him to do so. And this is because he is the one that's even given us the ability to work. He is the one that's given us this innate ability to do work. I want to look at a passage in Exodus 31. And this is this, this is the construction of the tabernacle text, but I kind of want to take the text at a different angle. So bear with me as we read through this. This is going to be verses 1 through 11 at first. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oaliab, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And also I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant law with the atonement cover on it and all the other furnishings of the tent. The table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons where they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I command you. So yeah, this is the building of the tabernacle uh, passage. The tabernacle, the portable temple or tent of meeting uh, for, God, for God to make his presence known with the Israelite people. So knowing that, knowing that this is the, the place where God made his presence known, shouldn't he have built that himself? Couldn't he have built that himself? Right, he could have just made it happen right then and there. Wouldn't that have been much easier? Wouldn't that have made a lot more sense? But no, God used Moses, one of the greatest mediators between God and his people, to call both Bezalel and Ohaliab to perform the inner workings of the construction of the tabernacle. I mean, you saw the list of it. It was, it was everything. It says in verse 3 about Bezalel that he was filled with the Spirit of God, which can be interpreted as him being specifically equipped to perform a specific task that he had been given, which is to construct the tabernacle. But in that same verse, it mentions that God had given him both intelligence and the ability to do so. And then if you look in verse 6, after God had appointed Ohalab, he goes on to say in the second part of that verse that he has given all men ability to construct all that he commanded Moses to build. So again, considering this is the construction of the tabernacle, God could have built it himself or even just told Moses to raise up his staff and boom, it's right there. But no, he didn't. And I think there's a reason for that. 
instead of God just making just making the tabernacle appear and it's in its pure form, he utilized the innate ability to work in his people to create the very thing that allowed his presence to be with them. Let's look at the next set of verses. We're going to finish out this chapter. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it, it is to be put to death. Those who do, not, those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days' work is to be done, but the seventh day is the day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So under the old covenant, the Sabbath was a sign of sanctification for the Israelite people, as well as a sign of the Lord's creative work and followed rest. So we can gather from this passage that God has given his people an innate ability to both work and rest because we were created in his own image. But there's a rhythm to these things. You might ask the question, God has not entrusted me with the construction of the tabernacle. So what has he entrusted me with? I can promise you that he has entrusted you with something. I'm so sorry if you have felt like God has never entrusted you with anything in his kingdom. Because I promise you there is something that he has entrusted you with. Whether it's being a good mother or father to your kids, folding clothes in a retail store, doing that worksheet, wiping that runny nose at school, God has entrusted us with his kingdom. And it's because he's given us the intelligence and the ability to do so. He's given us the ability to do work. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're in school or in the workforce or in retirement, and those are only a few categories. Um, your work, no matter the context, no matter the form, is so valuable to the kingdom of God. And I hope you know that. And again, society says that we have to reach certain goals to most effectively work. And I think this is a huge misconception. God is calling us to a holy work ethic right now. And this is only achievable through the one who created us with this innate ability to even do work. Now, I recognize that I, I've, talked about, I've talked a lot about work and not so much about rest. And so maybe my sermon needs a holy rhythm of work and rest. Um, and so you might be asking the question, what does Sabbath living look like for us today? And how do I truly re- uh, experience rest in God? Well, I want to turn your attention to another passage. This is in Colossians 2. 16 and 17. It says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So today, when we rest, when we choose to rest, it gives evidence of God's creative work, both through his creation of the universe and our ability to work. But we can have comfort in knowing that the substance of these things belong to Jesus Christ. 
And so observing the Sabbath ultimately becomes fulfilled in resting in the reign and the lordship of Jesus Christ. The source of our rest comes from Christ. Think about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. When we all want to eat it, right? We all want Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Always. Um, but if you think about Chick-fil-A, it is literally the, one of the most successful fast food industries in the nation. But they're closed on Sunday. They take out one day of the, of the week, and that, that adds up and adds up and adds up. But they're still one of the more successful restaurants in the country. But they take a day of rest. I think that could tell us something. So in regards to rest, it would only make sense that Jesus would say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So when your day-to-day job becomes difficult, when an advanced class in school is taking a toll on you, when preparing students for standardized tests becomes so taxing, when saving people from burning buildings becomes both physically and emotionally difficult, when you are attempting to discover how to use your retirement for the glory of God, when you, when you are struggling to even find a job, when you are struggling in school to, to finish that assignment or, or make a good grade on that test, whatever you're doing, know that the Lord of the universe is calling you to rest in him. And when you do the work that God has innately created you to do, you have no other choice but to rest in Christ. Praise God. So what is this holy rhythm of work and rest? I don't know. There's no clear-cut answer. Only God knows. But the question for us is this. How will you live differently knowing you were created with the purpose of both working and resting for the glory of God? And I'll leave you with this final scripture. This comes from Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May you go and glorify God with all that he has entrusted you in this life and in his kingdom. If you have any need that you, that you need to bring forward, if you, are asking for, if you need to ask for prayers, there will be shepherds to surround the room. If there's something in the back of your mind that you, that you are thinking about following Jesus, making him Lord of your life, please come. But together we stand and while we sing.